This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. And the Twins are baseball's world champion. Number 500 for Harm Killebrew. Francisco Lariano has pitched a no-hitter. Gone! A walk-off for And the Twins win it! Behind every memorable moment and career highlight on the diamond... are the true gems, the inside stories and tales. And you will find those candid, casual conversations here on the Twins Clubhouse Podcast. Now, here's Chris Atterbury. Well, hello and welcome to the debut edition of the Twins Clubhouse Podcast. Or if you're listening on one of our great stations across the Treasure Island Baseball Network, hope you're staying safe, keep those hands washed, stay socially distant, and uh, there will be baseball. We don't know when. Uh, but we're here to remind you of all the good that baseball can bring and uh, that it is uh, somewhere on the horizon. And Jake Odorizzi is kind enough to join us here for our debut edition of the Twins uh, Clubhouse Show. And it's brought to you by Quick Trip. Sign up for Quick Rewards, all your rewards in one easy place. Jake is in Florida. I am in Minnesota. We are socially distant, Jake, so uh, we are in pretty good shape. But in these crazy times that we're all experiencing and trying to adapt to at the same time and simultaneously, uh, how are you and your young family uh, coping with uh, with cabin fever down there? Yeah, we, we're doing pretty good. I mean, we got a, a pretty good setup down here. You know, living at home is always a lot nicer for having kids, and uh, they're here. They're around what they're used to be around. You know, playing around with uh, normal circumstances when I'm placing to sleep instead of being in a new place every couple of months or so uh, when the season rolls around. So, uh, you know, we're here at home base, so things are things are nice from that aspect of uh, just being in your comfort zone, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, you got to try to find activities for them to do. Um, you know, can't just have them stick in the house, but we're fortunate to have a nice yard, nice weather, so we're able to be outside quite a bit and uh, do everything that there is to do out there. I was going back and forth with Taylor Rogers a little bit, and he is in Florida, and or he's in Colorado, and I know he and you and Nelson Cruz met with some of the media here in the Twin Cities on a teleconference a couple of days ago, and he said for him the oddest thing is he just feels like he's supposed to be somewhere else uh, because Colorado and baseball season don't go hand-in-hand hand for, for Taylor. Uh, does your body telling you that? Does your brain, when you wake up, do you ever have that, that, wait, am I supposed to be in my own bed or should I be somewhere else? Yeah, I think it's a little different for me just being like down here in Florida because it still feels like you know the spring training weather. Mm-hmm. It's hot outside. I'm still able to do a lot of baseball stuff, which is fortunate for me. I'm Tyler Clippard that lives here in Tampa as well, so him and I have been working out every day, doing baseball stuff every day. So we we're a little fortunate just to be here. But if you're in a cold weather state, you know, like up in Mini right now, or with uh, Taylor and. Uh, in Colorado, you know, you're not used to seeing those places this time of the year, and uh, being able to go through a routine is very difficult, especially when a lot of those places, you you know, whatever, you could have a shutdown at some place, or you can't do something that you're used to doing in the off season. So I think that's the, the way a lot of people are approaching it. Is, 
what can I do that it feels like the off season more so than it feels like anything else, which is a very weird time of, you know, it doesn't feel right for this time of the year, but that's the way you almost have to treat it of, you know, getting back into that routine of what keeps you in shape and what you need to do to be prepared for whatever the date is that we finally get this thing going again. Well, that's never been an issue for you. Always in good shape, always uh, minding your body and ready to go. Uh, With where Florida is currently in terms of what's open, what's not open, are you able to go to the baseball ranch and throw? Is that off limits? Are you you just able to work out kind of in your neighborhood with with Tyler, or, or what's your situation? Um, so Cliff and I, uh, we find places to throw. We have a, a field we go to to throw um, a couple days of the week, and we have a, our gym that we go to that's uh, a private gym um, that are, we you know, we do those practices there of the social distancing as well. So there's a very minimal people inside of this place at once. And it's just a kind of a pro athlete type one. There's some tennis people, baseball, all of this stuff. But there's time slots now, and there's only X amount of people that can be mm-hmm. in this place at once. So there's a lot of precautions that are taking, a lot of cleaning of it. So we're very fortunate to still be able to go actually work out and you know have weights and that sort of a thing. But um, it's a it's it's a unique thing, and uh, it's just something that I think that we're honestly just taking day by day because a certain day you might have uh, the whole state of Florida shut down, and you just have to you know work remotely from home and throw into a net, um, you know, I have some free weights here that I could mix in, make, you know, make some workouts up, that sort of a thing. So if the time comes for that, uh, you know, we'll just have to adjust accordingly. But right now it's been pretty status quo. I haven't gone over to the baseball ranch quite yet, just kind of playing long toss and staying arm shape wise. We just have so much time now between now and the start of the season. It's almost like, uh, you know, you have an allotment to just, get back in shape a little bit because when we, you know, we're all told to go home, it, it took a good five, six days for, you know, us to get settled back in after going to the grocery stores a couple of days of the week, because there's such a small amount of stuff that was there. So it was in phases and unpacking and kind of getting our bearings again. So I didn't want to rush back into anything knowing I have a, a large allotment of time to, uh, to kind of get back ready to go again. Yeah. For whenever that, first pitch is thrown and it's obviously not going to be uh, for a while you're going to have advanced warning and whatnot how does the communication work in terms of amongst players I know you're you're certainly going to be in contact with with Rocco and with Wes and with your fellow pitchers and, and teammates and whatnot but in terms of keeping abreast do you take the approach of they're going to let me know when they know something or are you a guy who constantly is poking and asking and wondering and uh, about latest developments yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty in tune with. I'm one of our alternate union reps, so we're kind of getting involved on in what's going on you know, on a daily basis, or not on a daily basis, but when there's updates, you know, we we get them. Raj is our head guy, so he's he's at the forefront of getting information. So, I think that's the big thing is you know once we have information from all of MLB, then we can figure some some things out because it's it's so tough to operate on. Like you said, you're you're talking with teammates and trying to just keep in check, but everyone's kind of in the same boat. Depending on where they're at, is it's pretty much you're laying low as best you can and trying to stay in shape as best you can, which is a it's a tough thing to do for some guys depending on their situation. So um, it's going to be much easier to iron out a plan once we have a plan to go off of. So it's like we're all playing the waiting game right now and just keeping your arm moving. That's a huge thing and uh, staying in you know good shape. Well, and you mentioned Tyler Clippard is a neighbor, and so fun to have Tyler Clippard on this side of the fence after watching him pitch for a series of opposing teams through the years. Uh, a guy who I felt in the short time that camp uh, was able to go on, uh, I felt, Jake, like Tyler 
and Rich Hill, two guys who already have made a massive impact on this organization. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, both of them come with a lot of experience. Um, you know, Clip and Rich have been doing it for a long time and been doing it really well. And I think that's the the key of bringing guys like that in. You know what you're getting with those guys. You know you're getting the consistency. You know you're getting the knowledge. There's just a lot of things that they that they bring to the table that can help out everybody around them. And um, you know, being around Clip every day, I, I used to work out with him in the past too. Um, so we've known each other for, for a few years already. So it wasn't like it was a, a new learning thing for, for me, but um, you know, we're, we're constantly talking every day, just trying to figure things out. And, you know, I think for relievers as opposed to starting pitchers, it's going to be a little bit easier of a program just because the buildup is so much shorter that, that once you get the advance of when times are going to be going as a reliever, you can crank it back up again and be ready to go. The starters is, you know, I'm going to have to maintain a, a decent pitch count level and just kind of stick at that. And then when I know when the transition period is, that's when it's time to ramp up again. So we've been talking about programs and all that sort of stuff and, you know, just trying to talk as much sports as we can when there's no sports going on. Yeah, you're, you're lightning also with their season cut short. How are you dealing with that? Yeah, I mean, we've got nothing on right now. We just kind of <laughs> we got a lot of cartoons on here at the Odorizzi house uh, with, our, with our kids. And uh, I'm sure by the time this is all over with, I've probably seen about every cartoon imaginable. So, um it, it's been it's been interesting, you know. It's not that we get a lot of TV time to ourselves, anyways, with kids or being outside, which is always a good thing. You know, we want to be outside and be active, that sort of thing. But uh, it honestly feels pretty normal for the offseason. Minus usually the NFL is going on and the Lightning. Other than that, you know, we're, we're, I don't really get too much sports when we're uh, home with the family. Are your kids old enough now that they think it's weird that you're around this much right now, mm-hmm. or do they just feel like the offseason hasn't stopped? Um, uh, my oldest is four and he, he asked me every day if I have baseball stuff to do, but he was asking that in spring training as well. So <laughs> just more so would be leaving. He didn't really care for because mm-hmm. he wanted me just to hang around and, you know, hang out with him and play and all that stuff. So I wouldn't say there, he's weird about me being here. He's weird about me leaving. He doesn't want me to go anywhere cause he wants to just hang out and, and do stuff. So, um, it's, I would say it's the opposite. He does. He doesn't like it when I leave as opposed to he just wants me to be here and uh, be hanging out all day. That's a good thing. That's a good thing, Jake, because you want to keep that on that side of the fence as long as possible. I feel like my daughter's 11. We're creeping up on the, shouldn't you be somewhere, dad? Like, shouldn't you yeah. be, shouldn't you be leaving now? Giving me yeah, that, uh, that subtle, that subtle job. I'm just cutting to the core. <laughs> hey, one thing I noticed, I was digging around and we talked about some of the guys that were in camp. Uh, Caleb Fieldbar is back in camp. I didn't realize that you and Caleb were Helena Brewers together back in your first full uh, year in the Pioneer League. Uh, Mike yep. Fires was on that team. Chris Capuano was on that team. Back in my home state of Montana, I imagine there were some, uh, uh, what would you call it? Uh, I, I would say a little culture shock riding the buses through the uh, emptiness of Montana in your first year of glamorous pro baseball. Yeah, that was quite the adjustment period of uh figuring out what pro baseball is like at the <laughs> lowest levels and a lot of long bus rides, a lot of through the mountain bus rides where you're a little uneasy at certain points. Um, but yeah, um, Fieldbar and I go way back there. We played together the next year in, in Wisconsin as well. And then that's where we went our separate ways after that. So yeah. um, it's funny to, to see, you know, some things come full circle of you started out with somebody and, here we are 10 years down the road and we've reunited and we're playing on the same team again. And it's a team he's been with before. And it's, it's one of those cool stories that, uh, 
you know, you, you hang around long enough in the game, you start to experience some really cool and unique stuff, and that's definitely you know one of them. Yeah, the web the web gets pretty tight. It's a pretty small group, but that was a that was a good looking group. You guys had Chris Davis, I think, was on that team too. Yeah, the next year we had Chris Davis, um, Scooter Jeanette was on that team, Theo Barr. Um, we had a we had a good amount of guys that had you know had a lot of success at the big league level. Yeah, and you're sitting on a bus somewhere between Helena and Missoula, going, "Why am I not playing football? I should have gone to." Yeah, <laughs> right. And looking now, eleven years later, it's all worked out pretty well. So I'm glad it, we stayed the course. I it, guess it has definitely worked out. Jake Odorizzi is kicking off our Twins Clubhouse show. Whether you're tuning in across the Treasure Island Baseball Network, we welcome you. Or picking this up wherever you get your Twins podcast. Our show is brought to you by Quick Trip today. Sign up for Quick Rewards. All your rewards in one easy place. And the Twins want you all to know, hey, Jake and the squad are going to be back. They appreciate all the support during these unprecedented times. Encourage you to keep checking TwinsBaseball.com for the latest news on your favorite players like Jake and his teammates and your hometown team. When it's time to play ball again, we'll be ready. Until then, stay home and stay safe. Jake Odorizzi is home in Florida. Chris Atterbury here in Minnesota. And, Jake, we've got some highlights. We, we picked a few different moments from your time in professional baseball we're going to play some of these clips and then kind of get your reaction and use those as some leaping off points so it's not quite this is your life where you're going to have like your high school history teacher in the background <laughs> but hopefully these will all be good uh, happy talking points for you and i want to go back to 2017 when Corey and i were uh upstairs at tropicana field watching you absolutely dominate i think you're going to remember <laughs> the game you were you were so good I, we blocked I, mean, it I, I would remember it very very well um it was a uh, no hitter into the seventh inning and it got broken up by joe hitting a single we'll call it a very loose single a that, loose single okay yeah, well we that found was it a, a ground ball that hits directly off of the second base itself as we had our defender positioned perfectly for it but it hits, it goes straight up, he beats it out, and that's all that there is. So even when things are, you know, perfectly in place, you know, I think that's just the Joe Maurer factor. It was, was a, uh, there was definitely a Joe Maurer factor. Do a hit. You're not the only guy he, he ruined a no-hitter for, but I think we got the clip I, now. Let's yes. try it. Maurer's 13-game hitting streak in jeopardy tonight. 2-0 Tampa Bay, bases empty, one out, top seven. And the one-two pitcher, ground ball, smash, hits off the second base bag. It pops to short. Echeverria has no play. And there's hit number one. And as Chris mentioned earlier, big shock. As to the Twins hitter that broke up, a potential no-hitter. And the small crowd here at Tropicana Field, the Rays fans applauding. Odorizzi's chance and no-hitter tonight, but that will not happen. I think he's done it four times, Jake, at least four. And uh, that was the latest, but that night... We had seen you before, uh, but that night you were absolutely locked in and dominant. Yeah, that's you know those those games really stick out to you as you know looking back. The second you said you know the seventeen, I was thinking, <laughs> I like what did I do well in seventeen? Uh, oh yeah, there was that game towards the end of the year against the Twins, and then lo and behold, I'm with them the next year, and it's been ever since. So Joe and I got to talk about that the next year, and um, yeah, he's no he's no stranger to breaking up uh, no hitters, um, but. It's always interesting as a, as a player seeing someone like develop. I, we were on the bad end of one. I think it was the same year potentially um, against the Indians. Carrasco had a, a no hitter mm -hmm. with two outs in the ninth inning, and it got broken up. And it was just one of those like the most deflating thing ever from sitting watch. Like, man, I wonder what that feels like. And I felt it in different instances. It's been the seventh inning, the eighth inning before, but never in the ninth. I can only imagine how 
dejecting that may feel. What were the Rays were involved in a couple of? I want to say the Dallas Braden game, and yeah, that was, was it the Dwayne the got, Dwayne Wise got, game? Um, they got that was the Dwayne Wise, the Burley one, the Dallas Braden one, um, the Felix Hernandez one. <laughs> um, they 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 ran through a few of them there in a short stint, but which is uh, weird because time. because Jake, that would be a team I would think would be really hard to no hit because those teams always had real diverse types of offensive players and some really good offensive players. And in the trop, especially you never know what's going to bounce off of what. So uh, yeah, that always surprised me, but that was, so that was 2017 fast forward. Uh, by the way, you fan Polanco to finish up your day, got a nice little ovation. You guys win the game. We walk out of there going, man, this Oda Rizzi guy's really good, which made us super excited the next year when you became a Minnesota twin. And then early in 2018, you carried this one deep into a game, too. And the pitch, a swing and a line drive, left center field, deep in the gap, trouble, that will land a hit. As it splits the outfielders, around third is Boyd, heading home, he will try and score, and he will, sliding, it's a double. It's a 3-1 game, as the Yankees pick up their first hit and their first run, and it happens here in the eighth inning, and listen to target field. So good job. Have one of these outings towards the end, you know, feel the energy, feel, you know, show them, you know, kind of what I'm capable of doing, not obviously every time out, but um, it's, uh, it was just a kind of a good culmination of uh, a lot of things coming together and hearing, uh, you know, the love. That was September. I think I said May. That was September of 2018, Jake, and uh, I think you remember that one too, probably. Yeah, I mean, that was one of those at the end of the year, especially those are something to go into the offseason on a building point because really in 18 I, I felt like I wasn't near as you know close to what I am now or what I was my what I thought my normal was so it was kind of a frustrating year from that standpoint of first year you know we were supposed to have a really good team on paper and then ended up we ended up selling and I you know didn't have a great year by my standards so it was a kind of a frustrating year from um, from a lot of aspects but sometimes those are good and for motivation purpose for drive for um, you know, you learn a lot from the failures, and um, that's kind of how that year was going. And then at the end of the year, you have an outing like that that, that really propels you into the offseason of, all right, now I felt like this. This is how I want to attack every game. And, you know, doing that is it's such a confidence booster. But, um, yeah, some, some unique special times when you're, when you're having those type of outings and you feel it about halfway through and you're now like, you know, if things progress this way, I feel great. Everything's going well, and let's just see if we can get to the finish line. Yeah, and Greg Bird got you on that one. Do you remember the pitch? Yeah, fastball away off the plate. And he went out and got it, huh? Yep, put yeah. it in the perfect spot, too. So just a little too far for uh, for the guys to get to, but that's uh, that's quit. I'm sure they probably had a few in that game where they went at people, too, so that's just the nature of baseball. That's how it works. No hitters are not something you can uh, plan for, and Jake no. Odorizzi is our guest here in the Twins Clubhouse, and we're going through some of the, the great moments that he's had, and I love that you said that a, a, a game like that late in the year can propel you, because I, I spoke with you in a mostly empty clubhouse after, it wasn't that game, but it was maybe your last start. You threw pretty well down the stretch, and you were really frustrated, and you said, I just wish that the Twins fans had seen the real me. I don't feel like I showed them who I really am as a major league pitcher. Um, and, and you went into the offseason, and boy, Jake, you showed them right out of the box in 2019. Uh, I know you changed your workouts up a little bit. You were probably a little bit healthier 
Uh, was there anything else that that marked a change for you? Because I don't want to make it sound like it's some sort of a you recreated yourself because really you went back to what you had been for for long stretches of your career prior to coming to Minnesota. Yeah, just getting back to you know the, the form that I thought I was capable of and just needed some few tweaks to, um, to off-season workouts. And as long as you just need a, a fresh little routine of, you know, you don't need to make wholesale changes on the pitching side. You just need to do some stuff in the off-season to give you a little bit more of um, some ability, I guess you might say. Ability might not be the right word, but just getting some more out of your body by, you know, you're not doing anything different from the pitching side, but the workouts, the flexibility, the mobility, everything lines up to how you can increase your your effort pitching, how much you can get, you know, gain velocity, gain um, stuff, quote unquote, um, you know, on your breaking balls and all that type of stuff. So I just kind of went back and decided it was time to, to try something new. And um, yeah, I mean, it worked out phenomenally. Um, just a, a great rebound to a season where I wasn't happy with, and then I was extremely happy with how last year went. Um, from a from a feeling standpoint, from a pitching standpoint, you know, there's some things I would have liked to improve on. Even with a great year like that, there's always something that we're looking to improve on or we're not happy with. And I think that's what makes good starting pitchers good is because you're not content with you know being yeah. having a good year and you know you're always going to nitpick and say I can I could have been better here I could have been better here. Imagine if I would have done this a little bit differently and. You know, that's just the nature of, of pitchers in general. we got a lot of downtime to think about uh, <laughs> things in between outings. But uh, I was very excited um, to see the, the results go in a positive direction after after such a, a crucial offseason. Yeah, the results followed all that process that you're talking about and all that analysis and all that work. So early in the year, you're off to a great start. I throw out the game in Philly where you're pitching in like a freezing cold monsoon. Uh, you probably couldn't even. That's one, of, the, the that's one of those days where we could have made an adjustment and gone without that day. So that's <laughs> one of those things where, oh, looking back on it, maybe if we would have banged that day, it could have been even better. So continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, that that was one. We just we forget about that. I I go to to me where I was really. It, I don't want to say I was surprised, but I was like, yeah, Jake is locked in. It was the back to back starts against the Astros. Uh, it starts in Houston, April 22nd, five and two thirds, two runs, eight hits. Uh, and it was 100 pitches. You threw a ton of curveballs in that game, even now knowing what we know was going on in that building. And, and I don't know if we all knew exactly how, but everybody knew that, that you certainly had to, to be very diligent in terms of your, your signs and changing them. That's a mental strain pitching in that building, not only because their lineup's good, but because everybody knew there was, there was something going on. But that game and then your next start against the same club, and you were even better. And we're going to go to a clip from that game on the 29th. Odorizzi has his sign. And a 1-2 pitch. A fly ball. Center field playable Buxton. Back and now in. Under it to his left. He's got it. Odorizzi is through seven shutout. It's tough to face a team twice in a row and you know, be successful twice in a row just because, you know, piss off pretty much everything I had then. We changed it up a little bit. A little went away from the curveball more today. And uh, it really uh, benefited us. Yeah, that was a one nothing win over Verlander and the Astros. The lone run was an Ari Adrianza home run off of Verlander in the third. Start of a stretch where you go three games without allowing a run. What is it like the days between those two starts, Jake? You had the success in Houston. That That's, a, again, a grueling outing. You win the game. You know you're going to get that same team again at your place. You alluded to the fact you didn't throw as many curveballs. I think you only threw like two, uh, if my memory serves. What was that process like with you and Wes and Jeremy Hefner between those two starts? 
Yeah, um, but I think as I said in that clip, like it's always interesting to face a team when you go back to back. I think it's better to do it in the way I did it of you face them at their place and then you face them at your place just because you know you're usually always come more comfortable pitching in your home ballpark as opposed to on the road. So that was in my favor of doing their place first and then ours. Um, but I think I did that a few times this past year and they were all relatively pretty successful. Mm-hmm. But you, you just have to go in with the you know. You don't really need too much of a scouting report. You just saw them, and it's just more of the, all right, do you make the adjustment first or do they? So do you just kind of play that game of do you try to repeat the exact the same stuff or is this the type of team that you know is going to make an adjustment so you need to make the adjustment before they do? Um, so that's kind of the way we, we went about it. I don't know, you know, obviously they're a very, a very good team, a very quality team, so we just try to be one step ahead of them and just change up just a pitch mix and that sort of a thing. And they were a lot more aggressive the second game than they were the first game, which tends to be what happens depending on how the first game goes. So they, I remember I had a really, I think I finished with like 80 something pitches through seven yeah. innings. And I, I remember trying to lobby to go back out for the eighth and, you know, see where it went from there. But um, I think that's just a product of, the second time you see somebody, you know, they're, they're going to be a little more aggressive. If you did well the first time, they're going to want to try to get to you early. And they're going to be put, trying to put the ball in play and drive the ball. And, you know, when you're – I felt like I was executing pretty well that day. So when you start doing that and getting them to hit the pitches that you want them to hit, that it makes things a little bit more um, – easier is not the right word. Baseball is never easy. But it, it goes a little bit – it clips along a little bit better because, you know, you're getting them to, to swing at the pitches that you want them to swing at as opposed to, you know, having to come to them later on in that count. I think it's even more impressive when you realize that you're you're locked in a one-run game or a 0-0 game the entire time. You have no net you're working with. Every pitch could be a tie game or potentially losing the lead. Does that just uh, amp you up even more uh, competitively, at the, knowing that you're, you're facing a guy like Verlander? You know runs are going to be hard to come by on both sides, and, and you don't have a margin for error? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you're, you're going against one of the best in, in the league, and, uh, you know, the runs are going to be at a premium. So it's just you start, you know, matching each other pitch for pitch. And I think if you told, talk to a lot of pitchers, you know, me especially, I, I personally would rather pitch in a one nothing or a 0-0 game than me leading by five. Interesting. That's just one of those things where the competitiveness of you wants to be in that situation of a one-run game and be in that that feel of, just pure competition and it's me versus you and it's you're doing well I'm doing well who's going to do well the longest and from from my mind I maybe I'm just different maybe I'm the only person who thinks that but you know a zero zero game to me or a one nothing game is way more exciting as a pitcher than if we went out and scored five runs in the first inning so um it just might be the way I'm wired and and how I just feel like that's like the ultimate competition is Who's going to crack first? Oh, that's fantastic. Now, Jake, let me ask you on the same note, because the standard response is always, I'm not pitching against the other team's pitcher. I'm throwing against their hitters. But when you're lined up opposite a top-tier guy like a Verlander, is that also a driver in terms of the, the competition? You can't, you can't um, not notice, small right? Amount, but it's, it's not like you just know the certain games of, you know, runs are going to be tough to come by, so I need to be at my best. And maybe, you know, subconsciously it gives you a little bit more of a, of a, of a drive, a little bit more of an adrenaline. But, you know, I typically, you know, you, you only see who you're pitching against via the scoreboard, essentially. You know, it's like you see the matchup when you go out to warm up. It's like, oh, here's you and here's, you know, player X. And 
if player X is a has a good career record mm-hmm. and he's got a lot of accolades, you know, I, I think it gets more probably publicized and from a media aspect than it does a pitching side because half the times if you're not paying attention to the schedule, you don't even know who's who's pitching. You're not in hitters <laughs> meetings. You're not in anything as pitchers. We don't look at see who we're who we're lined up against that sort of thing unless it's the playoff series. But uh, but yeah, I would say to maybe to a small subconscious level, but you know, yeah, on the surface it's it's uncontrollable, you know, yep, <laughs> unless you're in actual league playing against the guy that you're going to have to see. Jake Odorizzi with some great insights. And after that, uh, you gave up a couple runs to the Angels. It was another back-to-back. You blanked the Angels in Anaheim. Uh, and then you throw a goose egg against the White Sox. And here's one where I know you knew who you were going to pitch against and where. Because we go to Tropicana Field, place you had called home. Uh, you got a, a beautiful reception from the Rays organization. And then you went out and were fantastic. Here's a clip. And Oda Rizzi's now 197 on the year, and it's going to go lower. Swing and miss by Brandon Lau, and that's nine in a row with five strikeouts to finish for Jake Oda Rizzi. We're through six. Seven nothing twins. What a job by Jake. Well, unfortunately, you had that big, big lead. I'm sorry it wasn't 0 0, uh, <laughs> but that had to be a special day for you because of your ties, uh, your, your long ties to that organization. Yeah, it was because the year before I, I just missed pitching there. We went to Puerto Rico and our mm-hmm. schedules got changed. I wasn't supposed to pitch in Puerto Rico, and then it I got, like with the off days and we had three snowouts before that, so it changed a lot of things. So then it turned me into pitching there instead of pitching in Tampa. So that was kind of a bummer the year before, but this time it, it worked out really nicely. And you know, from a player standpoint, it couldn't work out any better. We had an off day before, we had an off day after, we had a four game series. So. Mm-hmm. I got to live in my house for six days during the year, which is absolutely incredible. Um, but going into that game, I, there's, I, w- I would think I said, I said I'd be lying if there wasn't an extra incentive just to go out there and have one of those outings that, you know, it's not the, hey, this is what you're missing out on things. Like, hey, this is, you know, this is what I am. This is the pitcher I am. And I was on a nice run leading up into that. So I just wanted to continue and show, you know, this is this is me. You know, there's there's always that that drive of a, not a, you know, you're not pissed at the team that got rid of you, but there's always that extra little emphasis on the team you used to play for. You want to go out and you got to do your absolute best the time you face them. And, you know, I couldn't have really drawn it up much better that day. I think I threw like a hundred pitches and 80 of them were fastballs. Like Mm -hmm. it was such a ridiculous um, (laughs) ratio of fastball to everything else. But I think it was probably the best fastball day that I had all season and we just kept challenging kept challenging it's just one of those days where it's like here it is let's go who's gonna you know who's gonna go for it whatever it may be but that's just one of those times where you you come back as the first time in the new play you know first time in your old place and it all lined up perfectly the game went you know as well as we could have wanted it from a personal from a team standpoint and just one of those things where it's like, man, you need to feel comfortable. Like that's one of my favorite mounts to throw on just from the years of playing here. The environment is, is perfect for pitching. There's no wind, there's no nothing. It's just pure stuff. And I really enjoy that about pitching in, at the trop. And it's, it showed pretty well that day. So, you know, I don't know if they'll all be like that every time I get to come back here, but there's always that little extra incentive when you, uh, when you play your old team. Six scoreless, nine strikeouts, a single walk. And as you said, a ton of fastballs. The other time you really see guys ramp it up, you, you know, you, your big rival, 
Last year it was the Cleveland Indians. You guys are trying to knock Cleveland off the perch in the American League Central, uh, which you eventually accomplished. You you play or didn't get to play in it, but you were at the All Star Game in Cleveland that year. Every game between the Twins and Cleveland mattered from opening day to the last series last year. And you might have been at your best in a season where you were really really good against everybody against Cleveland. You went two and zero with a one six one. 22 and a third innings, 32 punch outs, only five walks against your fiercest division rival. The team went three and one in the four times you started against them. And in the only loss, you struck out 11 guys and gave up just one run in, in six innings. And then in September, early September, on a day, some bad news came down about Michael Pineda wasn't going to be available to pitch the rest of the year. You went out and started the game like this. And here's the pitch. He got him. Strike three and a belt tie fastball. And that's where Jake lives. Ball two strikes. And here it comes. He got him. Strike three. Another high fastball. Lined up. And the 2-2 pitch. He got him. Strike three. Another high fastball. That one in 94. Odorizzi strikes out the side. Lindor, Mercado, Santana. All gone. Swinging. Start of a 10 strikeout day, Jake, and it was a statement opening inning. From the media perspective, we look at that. It's easy to write a, a narrative around it when the team really needs it. They took a, a punch, uh, you know, before the game started. Uh, their all-star comes out and, and just shoves in the opening frame. What was that game like? Was it any different than any other game from your perspective? No, I mean, yes and no. Just just from the fact that you know we all in the clubhouse knew you know what had happened before the game, so the emotions there were a little um, subdued. Of you know, well, you know, we're close to the playoffs. We just lost one of our you know better starters that has been pitching really well for us, and he just thrown the night before too. So it was like it was just one of those things that it was such a as they always are when those things you know happen. It's just, it's just a here it is all of a sudden and like out of nowhere and. You know, we were all, I think, hit by it pretty, pretty good. Just, you know, where do we go from here? That sort of thing. So I, I knew personally that I just needed to go out and put us back on the right path and get us back to baseball. And, you know, I, I took it upon myself. And I, I, I view myself as that kind of a player that I want the ball in a big game like that, that there's added emotion to it. It's a critical game, whatever it is. I always want the ball in that position. Same thing when it comes to the playoffs, whatever it may be, whatever it's a critical game. I want to be the person to do it because I know emotionally I can keep myself in check. I know that, you know, these bigger games mean a lot. And I think I just have the mindset to, to pitch in those games a lot. And that's how I wanted to go out and, you know, pitch that game as if it was a game one of a playoff and just go set the tone immediately and get that positive energy back instead of the, the negative that was surrounding us before that point. Um, and I think unfortunately enough, I was, I was able to do that. And, um, you know, that's just how my thought process going into a game like that. I, I knew the circumstances needed to be flipped in a positive way, and I wanted to be the guy to go do that for us. Boy, and did you ever, and in emphatic fashion. And, you know, when you face a team repeatedly, and that happens in a division, you see these guys a ton. Uh, you can have one good game, but sustained excellence against a really good opponent when you see them over and over and over again, that's pitching. And the fact that you could be so consistently good against the team that you had to beat to win the division and get where you wanted to go, I think that speaks volumes because you didn't beat them the same way every time. You had to be agile and mobile uh, and 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 you know use every tool in the tool belt, I would say, to, to be that consistently good against Cleveland last year. Yeah, and that and that's it. You know, you those those games that are against divisional opponents, especially one that's you know the team we were trying to knock off from the previous three years before. Um, those games are they mean a lot because that's that's a full game you're gaining or you know giving up to a mm-hmm. team that you're either 
trying to distance yourself from or you're trying to catch. So those games are obviously, you know, more critical than others. Every game is, is critical, but when you can gain a full game on a guy, on a team, that's when you need to, to take advantage of those. Um, but you know, the, the teams in the division, you see the most, and those are the toughest ones because they see you the most. And it's just that, how are you going to attack this team today? What are you going to do? How are they going to go? It's kind of the same as the back to backs. And mm-hmm. You just have to continually be adjusting your game. Uh, maybe you know you, you know yourself as a pitcher. Some days this is better than this, and some days you just go with what works well. You know, you challenge and you you come out on top. But um, you know, like I said, that's just alluding to what I said earlier. Like I I just view myself as I want to be that guy that gets the ball in big moments like that. I want to face our division teams the most when we need it the most. Um, that's just the thought I have when it comes to pitching in general and. Um, I think that's that's the point of that little extra you may get out of yourself when it's a you can you know the self motivation I think is one of the biggest keys of pitching that doesn't get talked about a lot. It's you know some people just rely on pure ability, but if you can motivate yourself to go to that next level, that's what separates you know good pitchers from great ones. Yeah, Jake, that's really well said. Interesting stuff from Jake Odorizzi as always and. I know when Twins fans see you out there in big games, uh, they certainly get a sense of calm from it. We don't know when we're going to get to see you on a mound next, Jake, uh, but we hope it's sooner rather than later. We really appreciate you, I think, lifting everybody's spirits and giving us some insights here as we wait for the sporting world and the world at large to resume something uh, of a semblance of normal activity. Uh, You and your family stay safe and healthy down there, and we can't wait to see you stepping up uh, in a big spot and throwing that baseball again before too long. Yeah, we're all looking forward to it as well. But I think the main thing before that point is for everybody just to worry about their own health, their own safety, and for people to take precautions. And I think, you know, sports is fantastic for healing that. But now that we don't have it, the emphasis just needs to be on people doing the right thing and staying as healthy as possible, giving themselves some distance because you just don't need anything like this to affect a a family member or whatever it may be. So we need to be thinking about those people and wishing everybody uh, the best up in the Minnesota area. Perfectly said from Jake Odorizzi. Couldn't have asked for a better guy to kick off our Twins Clubhouse show all across our network and right here on your home for Twins Baseball. This has been a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.